Well, it's a little bit pedantic Reading journals like The Lancet Up to date and those medical reviews But here we're more about the antics Than being caught up in semantics So listen here for your pediatric news everyone, welcome to Pedantic. I'm Sumit. We have a great episode today. We'll be talking with Zaina about an article about uh, oral corticosteroid bursts in children and, and their association with adverse events. We have a game planned, um, so strap in. There's going to be a lot of roid rage coming up. We'll be right back. And we're back here with Zena. How's it going, Zena? Good. Happy to be here. We've um, we've broken out the microphones after a long um, hiatus from doing in-person recordings. So, what do you think of the setup? I love it. I wanted to be here in the flesh, have a face-to-face conversation. So here we are. Yeah, this is a lot, but I, the Zoom was was good and convenient. I think for the last year, but now it's time to kind of like get back to the way things were. I agree. Yeah. So you're you're doing PEM fellowship. I'm doing PEM fellowship. And what's what are your plans? Like, are you going to study before you start? Are you nervous? Are you excited? I am definitely excited, nervous as well. I have no plans to study before I start <laughs> at all. Um, I end on SAR, um, and one of the PEM attendings said to me, "It's actually a nice place to end on, so that you have some sympathy for the other side." Um, when you're doing admissions. Um, and I think that's a fair point. That's like my side, just for the record. <laughs> it, I have a lot of, I, this is interesting. We actually had a, um, we talked recently about um, our group, hospitals group talked about the Fairbell Infant Guidelines that mm-hmm. uh, the PEM group here um, are developing and rolling out soon. And a lot of time was spent, people were, all, were saying so often that like, we don't work in the ER, so we can't pretend that we like have all the best experience and evidence for this but if it were us this is what we would say mm-hmm. there's a lot of we found a lot more similarities than differences but it's always good to have respect for the other side and to be humbled a little bit absolutely and i think it's it's nice for me having been on the other side for most of my residency is being sar being on the floor so coming into fellowship with that perspective as opposed to other people who weren't residents here um, necessarily um, and don't necessarily know what the SAR role is. So having that perspective, I think, will be really helpful as long as they don't forget it. I know. I was going to say, I'll ask you again in like two or three years <laughs> or five years, and you're just going to be all in. <laughs> I hope not. Those damn hospitalists or those <laughs> residents. As long as you accept all of my admissions. Thank you. Right. <laughs> um. We were talking about music before. What's your, what's, we're listening to this summer? Um, it's almost summer. Yeah. So I am very much a pop person. I like top 40 stuff and always have. Um, I am a huge Taylor Swift fan. Um, so Taylor Swift is always my go-to, and this has been the year of yeah, Taylor like Swift. Yeah, always new stuff coming yes, out, it sounds yes. like. Yes, she's had two uh, surprise albums. She had a re-recording of one of her old albums. She's re-recording all of her old albums. Um, so big year for Taylor. Wow. I mean, man, it's impressive. I don't think anyone has been so productive in this year off. Right. In this year, not a year off, but a, a different kind of year. 
than than usual like i did she build her own recording studio in her home like how did she Mm -hmm. do this yeah she did it all sort of virtually um so she had some uh guest singers on some of her albums that she didn't even meet in person because it was all um virtual which was really cool Hmm. sounds actually pretty ideal Mm -hmm. never have to meet people again (laughs) just to continue to make records and make music and not to see anybody yeah i wonder if i can do that in my work (laughs) Probably not. I don't want to see any patients. I'll see them. Just don't want to see anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to put a body cam on the intern and say, I'm going to yes, see people. Yes. I love that idea. <laughs> you could just be in bed. <laughs> exactly. This is my attempt to, quote, uh, improve resident autonomy. Yes. Right? All right. Well, we're going to talk about this article in just a second. So stick around for our virtual journal club. We'll be right back. And we're back, and it's time for our virtual journal club. Excited. <laughs> I should have actually pushed this button instead for... I don't know if it's getting you hype or not, but it's a big button. I realize this is a, an audio medium, not a visual medium, but the button says HYPE on it, in all caps, for listeners. Um, I'm so hyped. You're hyped? Yeah. Um, so maybe you can tell us about the article... Great. Um, so this was a article called Association of Oral Corticosteroid Bursts with Severe Adverse Events in Children. It was published in JAMA Peds last month. Um, and the objective of this paper was to look at um, sort of what the title says, which is to look at some of the adverse effects associated with steroid bursts, um, meaning short courses of steroids less than or equal to 14 days, um, which is a common course of steroids um, for many uh, indications. And this was a study of Taiwanese children um, using sort of a nationwide cohort looking at their outcomes that they were looking at were GI bleeding, sepsis, pneumonia, and glaucoma. Um, and they did a, a self-controlled case mm. series um, in which each individual was sort of their own control. And when they followed um, these ch- children over a period of time, what they found ultimately was that short courses of steroids were associated with some of these adverse outcomes. So it, they were associated with GI bleeding, um, sepsis, and pneumonia um, within a period after the steroid course. And then those risks sort of decreased um, in a time period after the first 30 days, but were still present up to about 90 days. So that's sort of the, the short and sweet version of it. Yeah, and so looking, so let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the local like strengths and weaknesses and other questions that came up with the study. So in the study design, yeah. what, what, what do you think were some of the strengths of this particular study? Yeah, well, I think first of all, it's a relevant uh, topic in question. Um, it's, like I said, it's a common thing that we do is prescribing short courses of, of steroids, whether it's for asthma or in the past year, um, we've seen a lot of Miss C kids and they end up going home on a couple weeks of steroids, um, often in the ER for sort of indications that we're not quite even sh- quite sure about. Um, for example, there's not a lot of evidence for using steroids, um, short courses of steroids for anal- anaphylaxis, but often mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. people 
after um, anaphylaxis, we'll send the kid home on three days of, of steroids, sometimes with sort of rashes that we're not sure about, if it's potentially an allergic re- uh, allergic rash, um, they'll give a dose of steroids, for example. So it's a common practice, and I think we are, at least many of us are often under the ass- assumption that short courses of steroids are pretty benign. Um, at least when patients ask me questions about steroids, I always talk about, well, there's long-term effects if you're on steroids for a long period of time, but for a short period of time, there's not a lot of um, side effects. Um, and so asking this question, are there really side effects to short courses of steroids, I think is, is um, the number one strength is that it's an important question. Other strengths of it, I think, um, it was a it's a large study, so they were able to use a nationwide sample because they have a national health insurance that most children in Taiwan um, are enrolled in. So they were able to, able to look at an overall cohort of four million children or so. Um, so having that large database and um, being able to look at those children who receive steroids and what sort of outcomes, adverse outcomes. Um, they were able to identify was another strength of the study. And then I think the overall um, study design, which I mentioned, the self-controlled case series, um, is a, it's a good um, study design. And it will, using, using um, individuals as their own controls at a different period of time, can um, help with confounding, uh, specifically for time-invariant confounders, they call them. Um, confounders that may vary by time may not necessarily be controlled by this type of study design. I totally agree. I think the large data set, national health database, so you have a lot of data that are coming from children across the country. Um, and like you said, the study design makes sense because you, you just there's some confounders you can't control for when you have case controls that are, that are not the same patient. I, I thought also along those lines, I thought the washout period was a good touch as well. Mm-hmm. So they had a four-day, a plus-minus four-day washout period. So four days on either side um, of the steroid course. And I think that was important because some of these things can be associated with the underlying illness. So, for example, someone gets treated with steroids for, a, for an infection, and one of their outcomes was sepsis, pneumonia. That could be a, a sequela of the infection, not necessarily of the steroids themselves. Right. And so... Um, by having at least that four-day period, hopefully cut down to some degree on some of that confounding by the outcome itself being contributed from the underlying reason for the treatment rather than treatment itself leading to the outcome. Yeah, and I think another thing I didn't mention that I think they did a good job with is um, a lot of their sensitivity analyses. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I did look through their um, supplemental mm-hmm. information as well, and they did some some really good sensitivity analyses to um, really show the robustness of their results. Um, they looked at alternative inclusion and exclusion criteria in Figure 3. They looked at steroid co- courses less than seven days versus less than 14 days and didn't really show a difference there. So even steroid courses less than or equal to seven days were associated with these outcomes as well. And then they used this um, statistic called the E-value, which is not something that I knew about before actually reading this paper. I hadn't seen it in any other other papers before. Maybe it was in one and I just missed it. Um, It sounds like 
very commercial, like very proprietary. <laughs> yes, I, at first I was like, is this a typo? Is this a p-value? Like, what is an e-value? Um, and I thought that was super interesting. So I went to their references and, and actually read the paper that um, uh, sort of proposed the e-value and, and what it is. And I thought it was a really interesting um, statistic, um, which we can talk about. But they use that as well, which I think was, was, a, was a positive part of this paper. It seems like a newer or it's more in vogue maybe now or people are talking about it a little more now because it's um, a way of measuring unmeasured or way of accounting for unmeasured confounding. Exactly. But I'll but, be honest, it's the first time I've even heard about that particular statistic. So Yeah. Um, the paper that they referenced was published in Annals of Internal Medicine in 2017. Yeah, yeah. So very new. Great. Let's talk about some of the weaknesses of this study or, or areas that, um, that they may have accounted for themselves, just due to the nature of the study design, things that uh, we have to take into account when interpreting these data. Yeah, so I think a big thing that we have to think about is just generalizability of this study. It's a study of Taiwanese children who are enrolled in their national health insurance program. So is it generalizable to um, American children and, and uh, a, a population that's more diverse and has you know different types of insurance status, for example? Is all of this generalizable to our population is unclear. Um, and of note, which I th- found was interesting, that um, in their population of 4 million children, 42% of them at some point in their childhood had received a short course of steroids. To me, that's just seemed very high. Yeah. Um, And looking at some of the indications that they talk about for um, prescribing steroids are things that we generally don't do. Um, Things just like pharyngitis. Um, And they, you know, reference some papers saying that potentially there's some evidence for using steroids for children with pharyngitis, but those are not things that we do. Um, and so, again, brings up the question of, of generalizability. Yeah, before we move on, I think we should talk about those two things because they're so critical mm-hmm. um, to the to the validity of this, actual validity of this paper, generalizability of this paper. Um, I just wanted to read a couple more, and this is all, if you're following it at home, it's in table one, um, where they talk about the diagnoses um, of these children as to why they receive the steroid bursts. And the highest proportion were for urticaria, uh, then for contact dermatitis and other eczema. And then the next kind of sizable portion of these children received it for upper airway, upper respiratory tract, head and neck kind of things like URIs, uh, bronchitis and bronchiolitis, and sinusitis. And the next one down there is asthma. Like, I think we would probably rearrange those for in terms of incidents for just in general. But then, like you mentioned, a lot of things we're not going to prescribe steroids for right. in the U.S. And that 42% number really, really stuck struck me. Yeah. Um, now, could I give you an exact number for how much it is in the U.S.? Probably not. But that definitely seems high on my end. I agree. I think it seems much higher than what it would be here. Yeah. One is a minor thing, a methodologic thing about their table one. Typically, to your table one is going to list those with and without the exposure mm. um, that's being studied. And here they have the two columns are for those that got one corticosteroid burst and, went one, and all corticosteroid bursts right. rather than those that got steroids and those that didn't get any steroids. Um, and so I think that is... You know, that would have been uh, almost 2,000 kids who got, 2 million kids who got steroids. 
out of the four million plus that were studied. So that would have been a reasonable, I think, approach to have the table once so you could see what's the what's the baseline characteristics of the group that did not get steroids. That being said, they did mention, I think, in their discussion that. 90% of the children had no baseline comorbid conditions. Right. That's what I was worried about, that for some reason, the kids that got steroids had more conditions that would have led to more of these outcomes they were studying, mm-hmm. GI bleeds, sepsis, pneumonia. So I'll, I'll sort of take that for face value, because they mentioned that the vast majority had no baseline conditions. And then the other piece of this, in terms of the external validity or generalizability, is the clinical implications of right. of these of these relatively what i would say small or rare rate differences there's one i think one of the challenges and we talked about in the past in this podcast of these large database studies is that you're almost overpowered in some ways to find differences that may not be clinically significant mm-hmm. so for example if you look at the incidence rate ratios the irrs that's the, that's their main kind of outcome that they report right. in in table 2 in the five to 30 days, their, their rate ratio is 1.4 for GI bleeding, 2.0 for sepsis, and 2.2 for pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Glaucoma, I would say there's no increased risk, right? Because it right. crosses the median line, and we know about all that. So, um, you know, what's the, what's the clinical significance of, of a rate ratio of two in a fairly rare outcome? Of the 4 million kids, almost 2,000 had sepsis. It's a very, very low rate. Right, exactly. And so looking at the uh, incidence rate, the absolute incidence rates and the incidence, incidence rate differences that they talk uh, that they show in table two, um, again, they're, they're quite low. They're 0.03 um, yeah. for sepsis. The only one that seems a little bit more significant is, is pneumonia. pneumonia sure. um, their overall incidence rate is 25, and then the rate difference is, is 9. But for GI bleeding and sepsis, they're, they're quite low. Right. I think you, you pointed out the right thing here, which is the rate difference mm-hmm. in those that got steroids and get steroids. And that's 0.6 for GI bleeding, 0.03 for sepsis, 0.01 for glaucoma. And like you said, pneumonia is the one that had the, the higher um, rate difference. So... I don't know. To me, I would say those are relatively th- that 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 doesn't make a compelling argument for me um, for for those three for GI bleeding, sepsis, glaucoma. Yeah, and I, I think I would agree. I think overall, what this paper um, says to me is not necessarily that we we need to change our practices because we know there is evidence for using short courses of steroids for things like asthma, but I think it will make me think twice about using steroids when there's not a clear indication for it. So anaphylaxis, for example, um, do I really need to send them home on three days of steroids, keeping in mind that, yes, there's a, these adverse events are very rare, but they exist, and then if there's no benefit to giving steroids, um, should I really be doing it? Yeah. I think that's, a, that's a, probably a, a really good way of phrasing the take-home um, that I would that I would have as well, yeah. That, that that's sort of like a reasonable interpretation that doesn't go beyond probably the scope of this study, but also it takes into account how we're applying it to our population as well. Yeah, I agree. And and when parents now ask me about you know some of the risks, um, I'll still probably say that the risks of a short course of steroids are minimal. Um, and we think more about the long-term risks for kids on chronic steroids. But 
could consider mentioning some of these things as well. And, you know, even and this makes again, makes you think about, okay, even just a short course of steroids, will it increase their risk of infection because it's an it is an immunosuppressant um it can and thinking about the kid in front of you as well who is this these these are all for the most part um well overall well children like you said with no chronic conditions but what about kids with chronic conditions would this be different are their risks higher and it's possible one thing on the pneumonia front um which uh, a question that arose as i was reading it um was regarding how they define pneumonia um, viral versus bacterial, mm-hmm. right? Because I think you could probably make the argument for kids who have a URI or other viral infection that they note, they note in their table that they're being treated with steroids for. Some of those may have gone on to just develop into a viral pneumonia, right? And so right. that may not necessarily be, as I alluded to earlier, a product of the steroids, but perhaps a product of just the disease progression or being on the steroids, like you said, led to a little bit of immune suppression that led mm-hmm. to pneumonia, but there may not have been sort of a, a clinical outcome aside from just having a diagnosis, such as um, hospitalization, ER visit, that kind of thing. So if it's additional diagnosis without any clinical um, outcome or clinical um, sequela, it may not necessarily be as bad. And they did mention in their limitations as well. They mentioned they did not track antibiotic prescription right. after the fact. So mm-hmm. that would have told us maybe if they were treating this patient for bacterial pneumonia versus viral pneumonia, so we don't know that. But um, that's one other thing that uh, that came up as I was reading it that I was just a question in my mind. Yeah. So overall takeaway, will it change your management or not? You kind of alluded to it already, but just to put your dollar down here at the end, how would you talk about this um, and how would it how would it change your practice? Or I think it? rather than it saying it's going to change my management, it's just going to change my thought process. Um, and I'm going to have this paper in the back of my head whenever I think about prescribing steroids. Um, and in certain circumstances, I may reconsider whether steroids are really needed and always thinking about the, the risk-benefit ratio and understanding that th- it's not without risk. There is some risk. Yeah, I would agree with you. And as we as we strive towards higher value care and reducing overuse, overutilization, um, you know, therapies that have little that have low little yield should be reconsidered. And as you said, um, particularly where the evidence is gray on steroids in certain conditions, definitely err on the side of not prescribing if there is a small um, increased risk of some of these some of these adverse outcomes, adverse events. All right, and we're back, and it's game time. This game, um, well, I've, I have two, there are two games included, but it's, it's essentially one under the title of Roid Rage. I feel like it's very fitting for us to talk about um, Love it. steroids. We talked a lot, a lot during our article, our journal club, about different indications, but there's also a lot of popular indications for steroids or popular reasons people take steroids. And so this is kind of a, a general category. So I have three questions about. Are you talking corticosteroids or all other kinds types? of steroids? <laughs> okay. I'm talking about roids. Um, so I have three questions that are more multiple choice, and then I have um, a game that I'm calling Roid or Wrong, where you have to say if giving steroids is right or if it's wrong. Okay. But and there's a right later. answer? There's a right answer. Okay. I think you'll do just fine in this game. 
So the first question is, um, so which of the following athlete oh my God. was not suspended for steroid use? Okay. So the athletes are cyclist Lance Armstrong, track and field Olympian Marion Jones, golfer Tiger Woods, NBA basketball player Rashard Lewis, or if I should say former baseball player or former fiance to J-Lo, mm, Alex J-Lo. Rodriguez. Um, yeah, what a sad breakup that was. I thought they were going to last. Um, they had the legs to last. They well, really did. J-Lo had legs to last. Let's be <laughs> honest. Yeah, Mr. A-Royd. Um, so I don't really know who Richard, what's his last name? Lewis. Lewis. I don't know who he is. You said he's an NBA player. I know all the rest of them. Uh, well, I know all the rest of them. I know Marion Jones and Lance, I almost said Lance Bass, Lance Armstrong <laughs> <laughs> and um, Alex Rodriguez were have at least been in the press for at least being accused of taking steroids, whether they were suspended, I'm not quite sure. But I have never heard of Tiger Woods and steroids in the same sentence. So I'm going to say Tiger Woods. That's correct. Now, has he done other shady things? Yo, let's, we'll, we'll, not, we'll, we'll not get into that right now. But um, <laughs> steroid use is one thing that golfers are not typically um, Yeah, that's true. It wouldn't, for, it wouldn't for. Like, help them. Would it, it could. They could drive the ball longer, have oh. you know more upper body strength, but but anyway, it's it's less of a less of a thing than for other sports. Yeah, he has They're, other issues to worry about. So yeah, I feel like it's more in track and field. Mm. It's more in baseball. Yeah, um, and in- interestingly, cycling as well. Yeah, um, but less in basketball, less in golf. Um, at least they may also have lax reporting and testing standards, screening standards. So who knows. Fair. Anyway, great job on question one. Thank you so much. I'm a good test taker. <laughs> <laughs> question two. This is any or all of the above. Okay. So these are indications for steroid use in COVID infection. Okay. Like in evidence-based. Adults? Evidence-based. Okay. So A, any adult patient with COVID. Okay. B, a hospitalized adult patient required supplemental oxygen. Okay. C, is a hospitalized pediatric patient requiring supplemental oxygen via nasal cannula. D, is a hospitalized adult patient required mechanical ventilation. E, is a pediatric patient with COVID and a history of prematurity. Oh, wow. Um, so, any hospitalized adult patient, I'm going to say, no, any adult patient with COVID... No, I'm going to say no. Um, hospitalized adult patient requiring oxygen. That was the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say yes. And the third one was what? Hospitalized peds patient requiring nasal cannula O2. Um, and the question was if it's... If there's evidence for it, evidence-based indications. Okay. So for there's no use. evidence for that. So no, um, I don't think there's any evidence in children for anything. So I'm going to say no to the prematurity one. Um, and if somebody with requiring oxygen 
or nasal cannula, if I said yes to that, then probably mechanical ventilation. I mean, definitely mechanical ventilation. I might be wrong. It might be just the mechanical ventilation, but I'm going to say it's the adult patients hospitalized who require oxygen, any respiratory support. Yes, you're correct. Um, I think you mean basically you you summarized it by saying that there's very little evidence in PEDS. Yes. Which, uh, which is absolutely true. Um, so this, this all came from the recovery study, um, which was out of the UK. Um, this may have been, what was this, months ago, maybe like six to nine months ago that they published this. And they found that hospitalized adult patients requiring O2 or obviously mechanical or, or higher levels mm-hmm. of support um, had better outcomes when they got steroids. And particularly they're, they're looking at DEX for 10 days. And so when we had some patients admitted here um, that were in the adult range, I think it was above 18, um, who were on supplemental O2, we give them DEX mm-hmm. um, 10 days or until they left the hospital, whichever was sooner. Right. So that was, uh, I think, one of the few success stories of um, therapeutics for COVID. But is it true that you you potentially don't want to give it early in the course of illness, like if first day yes. or two of illness? Yeah. You want to wait till they need, which way wait till they have a hypoxia. Okay. Um, but but let's say they had, let's say day one of illness had hypoxia. For, I, I thought I remember hearing that like day one of illness, day two of illness, you you want to support the immune system at that time because you still have circulating virus and you potentially wouldn't want to give steroids at that time. Yeah, I th- I've, I've read that. I've vaguely remember hearing that too. I don't know the exact, if there's exact date cutoffs. Okay. But that would make biological sense that yeah. you don't want to um, suppress the immune system when you have a high viral titer, for right. example, viral load. Um, I think that that's been coming out more recently, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in other other countries where they're doing DEX from the first onset of symptoms. Yeah. And it hasn't been, still been helpful. All right. Question number three. This is, oof, this is a tough one. Oh, I feel sorry for you for oh, this God. one, but you've done well so far. So... Put these topical steroids in order of oh increasing God. potency. Okay. This is why I can never be in primary care. I'm not smart enough. Yeah, me neither. Um, so the first one is betamethasone valerate 0.1%. The second one is hydrocortisone valerate 0.2% ointment, also known as Westcourt. Number three is mometasone Furrowate, 0.1% ointment, also known as Elicon. Primacinolone, 0.1% cream. And the fifth one is Clobetazole, propionate, 0.05% cream, also known as Cormax or Clobex. This is really hard. I'll give you the first first names are the one that would be helpful. So it's betamethasone, hydrocortisone, mometasone, Triamcinolone and clopidazole. Okay. The least potent is hydrocortisone. Am I on the right track so far? You're, well, I'll see where, <laughs> where you're headed. <laughs> okay. Um, the triamcinolone you said was what? 0.1%. 0.1%. Cream. Okay. Oh, cream. Oh, wait, are they all creams? Most ointments, the clobetazole and the triamcinolone creams. Why'd you mix up that part of it? Okay. This is going to be totally wrong. Um, hydrocort, then 
Mometazone, then um, what was the first one? Betamethasone. Then betamethasone, then, no, this is wrong. I'm just going to say something because I, I want to be done with this question. Betamethasone, then clobetazole, then tramsinolone. Yeah. So you generally are on the right track. But um, the thing that I've learned is that I always, always re- like refer to the table yeah. of topical steroids because the percent does also matter. Because you can have yeah. hydrocortisone that's 0.2 or it's 0.02 or 0.1. And it's like they're all different things. Yeah. So the correct order is triamcinolone point one is the lowest potency, really? okay. generic. Then hydrocortisone. So you're on the, on the right track there. So triamcinolone is a medium low potency. Hydrocortisone is a medium potency. Betamethasone valerate point one ointment is a medium high potency. Mometasone point one is Elicon is a high potency. I remember using that one a lot when I was in when I was a resident in clinic for okay. the high for the high potency. Literally things. never used it. And then clobetazole. Point, even though it's 0.05%, that's the super high potency. So that's that. That's beyond my level. That's beyond my level. And I don't, I, yeah, I had to give you a, <laughs> I had to put a ringer in there for you, but, uh, but that's what those are. So for the next segment, this next uh, game, it's called Roid or Wrong. <laughs> so I have, 10 different conditions here and you're going to tell me whether you shoot steroids or not. So it's going to be rapid fire. It's oh going to be a lightning round. Oh God. And you're going to say roid or wrong. All right. In honor of steroids, I have an Arnold Schwarzenegger soundboard. <laughs> He's going to tell you if you're right or wrong. Okay. So this is the answer if you, uh, if you get it right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Ready as Rapid fire. Okay. Okay. Lupus. Uh, uh, Roid. Yes! Bronchiolitis. Uh, Wrong. Correct. Asthma. Roid. Yes! Miss C. Roid. Yes! Pregnancy. Wrong. Correct. (laughs) With a puzzled look on your face. (laughs) Well, unless they're like having a premature something for their lungs yeah but no okay <laughs> nephrotic syndrome nephrotic syndrome nephrotic syndrome um roid yes rheumatic fever uh, wrong wrong correct constipation <laughs> wrong obstipation what is obstipation it's like when you're, it's the, it's like you're full of gas. Oh, wrong. Correct. Addison's disease. Addison's disease? Uh, Royd? Yes! You did well. What do you mean I did well? I aced it. I knew you'd get all those right. <laughs> um, you did really well. Thank you so much. So I'm not surprised. I told you I'm good at test taking. <laughs> Have you ever taken a steroid? You son of a bitch. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, I have taken a steroid. How was it? I don't know if it was the magic that I was promised. Mm. I threw up my back um, a few years ago. 
and uh, I went to the doctor a little bit late because I was just like at home and couldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was laying flat for a long period of time. And I went into the doctor thinking I might get some like Flexeril because I was having a lot of spasms. Mm-hmm. Some Flexeril or some other pain medicines, like some other like stronger NSAIDs or something. Yeah. And he um, thankfully did not give me any oxy. Otherwise, I, mean, I, I probably would have gotten hooked. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, opioid addiction is a real is a real problem, but um, he gave me some steroids, like a short a short course of steroids. Oh, is that a thing? Is there evidence yeah. for that? Uh, it's I don't know if it's like super evidence based, but okay. it's on up to date for adults oh, for back pain. Okay. And it worked so, for you? You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's what worked or if it was just time, time and rest. The only time I had steroids was when I was eighteen in, in Taiwan. <laughs> Never been to Taiwan. When I was 18 and got my wisdom teeth out and they gave me a medrol dose pack along with antibiotics and many opioids. Yeah. To help with the swelling, I guess. Thanks for joining in today. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. I've always been impressed by your evidence basedness. <laughs> Is that a Thanks. word? Thanks. Um, and look forward to working with you on the other side. Mm-hmm. We're all on the same side. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out our social platforms to keep up to date with all of our releases for Pedantic. That's Pedantic3959 on Instagram and Twitter uh, and even on Facebook. Despite all the things with Facebook, we actually have a Facebook page. So I don't think anyone actually reads it anymore, but it's there. <laughs> so You know who's not going to read it is Trump because it came out that he's going to be banned potentially indefinitely from Facebook. Great. I don't think I'd be surprised if he read any of these articles anyway. (laughs)